This is Mount Pleasant Baptist Church, Atlanta, Georgia, a congregation full of life and love with a legacy of outreach ministries. Everybody's invited to church in person Sunday at 10 a.m. and online at mountpleasantatl.org. And now, the Mount Pleasant Baptist Church, Atlanta. Truly, we thank our God, our Creator, our Sustainer, and His Son, Jesus Christ, who gave His life as the propitiation of sin and to the presence, power, and preeminence of the Panuma Hagias, the Holy Ghost, who is with us even now. We certainly give honor and deference. I was always taught that everything eternal need not be everlasting. And so look with me, if you will, to the Psalter, the book of Psalms, chapter 3. And if it is the custom of the house to stand, I invite you to do so out of reverence for the word of God, knowing that the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever. We give honor and reverence to all clergy that are present. I see pastors from across the metropolis. We greet you with Jesus' joy. I want to lift this text from the New Revised Standard Version for the sake of clarity. Hear now the words of David. O Lord, how many are my foes. Many are rising against me. Many are saying to me, there is no help for you in God. But you, O Lord, are a shield around me. My glory and the one who lifts up my head. I cry aloud to the Lord and he answers me. From his holy hill, I lie down and sleep, I wake again, for the Lord sustains me. I am not afraid of ten thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Rise up, O Lord, deliver me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek, you break the teeth of the wicked. Deliverance belongs to the Lord. May your blessing be on your people. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. As you claim your seats in the presence of the Lord on the last night of revival, do me a favor, look at your neighbor and tell them God delivers. Look at somebody who came to have church and tell them God delivers. Recently, I emerged from one of the most challenging seasons of my life, a time in my life where I literally felt as if I were running for my own life. 
I'm talking about a time wherein it seemed everybody knew what was going on with me. And folks that I thought were on my side turned against me. I don't expect everybody in here tonight to understand that and identify with that. But I want to submit to you tonight that if you keep waking up and going to sleep, that if the sun keeps rising and setting on your life, you will come to a point in your experience where folks that you thought were on your side will be standing against you. And where do you turn when the folks that you thought loved you turn their backs on you? Where do you run? Who do you talk to? Who do you trust? Where can you keep your secrets when it seems as if you're running, but you're running all by yourself? This is the tone, tenor, and texture of what we find in Psalm number three. Psalm three begins a series of royal laments that we find clustered within the first 12 chapters in the book of Psalms. It is here that we find the psalmist, most likely David, waging his complaints against God because life seems to be unfair. And it is interesting that Psalm 3 is nestled between Psalm 2 and Psalm 4 because in Psalm number 1, we learn, blessed is the man, who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in that law doth he meditate day and night, and he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. We learn something about righteousness in Psalm number one. We learn that the ungodly are not so. They are like the chaff that the wind drives away. We, we learn something about righteousness and unrighteousness in Psalm number one. But then in Psalm two, we learn something about the kind of righteous person that God uses to lead his people. In Psalm number two, we see that God has anointed a king that he places over Israel. We learn about the characters and quality of the anointed one that God has installed in leadership. We learn about the blessed state of this righteous leader that God has installed over Israel. We learn that in Psalm number two, but in Psalm number three, we run into some conflict because while we learn about the anointed one in Psalm two, in Psalm three, we learn about the unanointed one who has tried to usurp power and authority over the one that God has put in place. In Psalm two, just one chapter earlier, the anointed one is in his rightful place. The anointed one is ruling from the throne within the confines of the palace. But by the time we get to Psalm 3, the one who is anointed and righteous is running for his life because the unanointed ruler has tried to take over the place where God has set the anointed one. Can I pause here early on the last night of revival and suggest to you, don't get too comfortable 
careful where you are and be careful of critiquing folks just because you are in the Psalm 2 experiences of your life because if you keep on waking up and going to sleep you'll live to discover that it's a short distance from Psalm 2 to Psalm number 3. You can be on top of the world today and the world can be on top of you tomorrow. You can be in sunshine today and by tonight a storm can be raging in your life in Psalm 2 the righteous is in a great position but by Psalm number 3 the world has turned upside down and I don't know who I'm talking to tonight but you came here looking for revival you came here looking for encouragement you came here looking for refreshment because it wasn't that long ago that you were in Psalm 2 but now you find yourself in Psalm 3 now you find yourself wondering Lord where are you in my situation what do you do when you're running for your life and everything has changed in an instant by the time we arrive in Psalm 3 we see this traditional royal psalm of lament wherein the writer makes a complaint the Bible is kind enough to tell us if you read the superscription that this is a psalm of David when he fled from his son Absalom. Out of the 150 psalms that are recorded in the Psalter, 78 of them are attributed to David and many of them are psalms of lament. I want to offer to you, you can be saved, you can know scripture and life will still have a way of bringing some tension points in your walk and in your experience with God. I know that you thought that because you were saved, sanctified, Holy Ghost filled, tongue talking, pew walking, that life would be a bed of roses. But David's life and experience helps us to understand that every now and then you're going to have some low moments, some struggle moments, some tension moments in your existence. This is where David is. In Psalm 3. He begins by saying, oh Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying to me, there is no help for you in God. What is interesting about this particular Psalm, Mount Pleasant, is that scholars, theologians, and historians are kind enough to tell us that this Psalm of David would have been a prayer Psalm that he offered in the morning specifically the morning when he fled Jerusalem and fled his palace with the Ark of the Covenant because his son Absalom was trying to kill him. Did you hear what I said? It was early in the morning when David was singing this psalm which helps us to understand that all night long David had been conflicted. All night long David had been worried. It reminds me of a beautiful melody that the late songstress Billy holiday would have sung when she said good morning heartache this is the song that's on David's mind early in the morning good morning heartache how many oh lord are my foes many are rising against me many are saying to me there is no help for you in God what we see early in psalm number three is that David firstly is waging his complaint oh lord how many are my foes. Many are rising against me. Many are saying to me, there is no help for you in God. David is running from Absalom, but the truth is 
David's running is really of his own doing. In order to appreciate why David has to run, David has to be accountable for his action and his inaction. I don't care how saved you are, every now and then your actions will catch up to you and you have to stand and be accountable not for what the devil has done, but for what you have done. It's not always the enemy. Sometimes it's the inner me. It's See, in order to appreciate why David has to run, you have to visit 2 Samuel. It is there in 2 Samuel that we learn that David one day peered out of his window and saw the beautiful sultry Bathsheba bathing on the rooftop. But the problem with this was Bathsheba was married to Uriah, the Hittite, one of David's greatest soldiers. But David determined that he had to have, uh, had to have Bathsheba. And so he calls for her and he lies with her and she becomes pregnant. And when David finds out about this, he invites Uriah to his house and he gets Uriah drunk and sends him home. But Uriah never makes it home. And when David discovers this, David then puts Uriah on the front lines of battle, which was a death sentence, and has Uriah killed. Murderer. I thought David was the sweet singer of Israel. I thought David was the man after God's own heart. I thought David was the stem of Jesse's house. David was all that, but David was also an adulterer and a murderer. Can I tell you, brothers and sisters, yes, there is a saved side of you. There is a Sunday school teaching side of you. There is a Bible quoting side of you. But then if we were to go home and open your closet, we can see that there's a lying you, there's a cheating you, there's a drinking you, there's a smoking you, there's some stuff in you that if Mount Pleasant and Fairfield found out about it, nobody would want you in leadership, nobody would want you holding a microphone, but aren't you glad that God doesn't call the qualified, but God qualifies the called, and despite how messed up you are, God decides I can still use you anyway. And so Nathan comes to David and gives him a story to help him see that you've taken something that does not belong to you. David sins by what he has done. But David not only has sinned by what he has done, David then sins by what he does not do. Because if you were to keep reading right after the prophet talks to David, the Bible tells us that David has a son named Anmon and a daughter named Tamar. Long story short, as I cut across the field, David's son rapes his sister, lies with her, tricks her, violates her, and then sends her away in shame and scorn. As she leaves the room, she's screaming, crying out. And her brother, her other brother, Absalom, hears it. The Bible says that David loved his son, Anmon. And so David did not punish or deal with his son. David sinned by what he did with Bathsheba. But then David sinned by what he did not do for Tamar. If I had a little more time, Pastor, 
Mary Maris, I would talk about how we have failed women over and over and over again. How we have left women unprotected over and over and over again. How we have abused power and authority and have caused sisters to suffer over and over and over again. David says, you can be anointed and afflicted. You can be blessed and be broken. You can be called and crazy all at the same time. And now as a result, Absalom, after waiting and buying his time, positions himself to find favor with all of Israel and convinces Israel that David is unfit to be the king. And Absalom finds favor with Israel to the point where even David's most trusted counselor turns on him. David's soldiers turn on him. But David still has a little bit of help. Not because David deserves it, but because God is still a deliverer. While folks have thrown David aside, I'm going to preach in a minute. God has not forgotten about David. David has messed up, yes. David deserves consequences, yes. David deserves punishment, yes. But God has not forgotten about David. And somebody in here tonight ought to be shouting because you know that you deserve death, hell, and the grave. Yes, you've made some mistakes, but can you thank God that God has not thrown you away? God has not forgotten. Is there anybody here not too sedated tonight to slip up a hand and to rest on your feet and to open your mouth and give God glory? Because when you think of the goodness of Jesus and all he's done for you, Your soul ought to cry, hallelujah. Somebody shout, I don't deserve it. But God keeps on doing it. Keeps on blessing me. Keeps on forgiving me. Keeps on opening doors. Keeps on healing me. Keeps on taking care of me. I don't deserve it, but he keeps on making a way. So David, David says, oh, Lord, how many are my foes? He's, he's laying out his complaint. Everybody is against me. And they're saying there's no help for you in God. They're, they are using an ancient military tactic to destabilize the faith of the king because they know that all throughout Israel's history, they are not known because of their great military strategy. They are not known because they've had the greatest weaponry. But Israel is known throughout the world because God has always fought every battle. And can I tell you that that's what the enemy tries to do with you. The enemy knows that he can have all the ammunition. But the one thing that keeps you going is the fact that you know that God has always been on 
on your side. You don't need Psalm 3 to know that. When you look back over your life and think about the ways God has made, God has been on your side. That's why the old church would say, you can't make me doubt him. I know too much about him. God has been on your side. He, he, David lays out his complaint. But then David moves from complaint to confidence. He says, but you, O oh Lord, are a shield around me. My glory and the one who lifts up my head. I cry aloud to the Lord and he answers me from his holy hill. I love this, Pastor Emeritus. I love this because David remembers who God is in the midst of his sadness, in the midst of his problems, in the midst of his complaint. He remembers who God is. And brothers and sisters, life is hard. Life will make you cry sometimes. Life will make you scratch your head. Life will make your shoulders heavy. But don't stop there. You ought to keep on thinking because if you keep on thinking, you'll begin to think. If you keep on thinking, you'll begin to remember that God is a shield for me. He's a shield all around me. I've got enemies, but I've got protection all around me. Maybe that's why David said in Psalm 23, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Slap somebody high five and tell them I've got a shield around me. I may have some enemies, but I've got some protection. Protection. I've got a shield around me. My glory and the one who lifts up my head. I like this, Fairfield. I like this. I like the confidence that David finds because when he leaves the palace in fear of Absalom, when he leaves Jerusalem, the Bible says that he leaves with his head covered and his head hanging down. But in verse 3 of Psalm 3, David finds confidence in remembering that God is the one who lifts his head. In order to appreciate what David is saying, you've got to know the full story of what happens with Absalom. Absalom ends up being defeated, and David is able to go back to Jerusalem, not with his head down and covered, but with his head lifted because God has fought the battle. This is designed to place in Christocentric view what happened to Jesus on the cross. He died with his head hung down, but now he's exalted in the new Jerusalem with his head lifted up because when the Lord is your shield all around you, you may be down today, but if you hang on in there, you'll live to see he's the one who'll lift your head. He's the one who'll fight your battle. Somebody shout, God delivers. God delivers.
says, I cry aloud to the Lord. He's, he's found his confidence. I cry aloud to the Lord, and he answers me from his holy hill. I wish I had real time to deal with this. I love this. This makes me shout because David says, I cry aloud to the Lord, and he answers me from his holy hill. In order to appreciate this, you have to know about the justice system of Israel. What David is alluding to here is the fact that when the righteous are oppressed, when they suffer violence, it is the legal expectation of the wronged party to cry out loud so that bearers of justice can bring justice to the afflicted. So when Tamar was raped by Anmon, she left the room yelling and shouting. Not because she was in pain and not because her feelings were hurt, but because an injustice had been done to her. And can I tell you why the black church is still relevant? The black church is still relevant because we still need to cry out for injustice. Just because buses have been desegregated doesn't mean that there still isn't injustice. We can't live where we want to, buy what we want to, run how we want to in a time when we still get shot for Skittles and tea, there's still injustice. In a time when we're still put in a chokehold for selling individual cigarettes, injustice. In a time when we're pulled over for a broken taillight and die, in it's still injustice. David says, I've been wrong and so I cry to the Lord. But because God is a God who keeps his word, God has a covenant obligation to respond to the cries of the righteous. Y'all ain't helping me tonight. David says, because even though I've done wrong, I've still been wrong. And if I cry to the Lord, God has an obligation to take care of me. And maybe you're here tonight frustrated because you feel like God hasn't heard your prayer. Well, I got one question. Have you called out to the Lord and ask the Lord to intervene on your situation. I dare you on the last night of revival, if you need something from the Lord, I dare you to open your mouth and declare what you need. I dare you on the last night of revival to get enough righteous indignation and open your mouth and tell the Lord what you need from him. God, I need you to open the door. God, I need you to put my heart back together. God, I need you to bring my child home. David finds confidence because he remembers that God has to show up for him. Says, I cry aloud to the Lord and he answers me from his holy hill. Now, I want to move forward, but I cannot move without acknowledging this word that occurs three times in this particular pericope that goes unspoken. It is a five-letter word called Selah. This word Selah is a notation to the musical leader to pause and for there to be no music because there should be reflection on what just happened. That's why I love John Cage's controversial 1952 rendition of a classical piece called 433. 
433 is one of the most controversial classical musical pieces of the 20th century because for four minutes and 33 seconds, the composer sits at the piano and plays nothing. What does it mean for music to have no sound? For music to have no instrumentation? And yet here in the psalm long before John Cage's 1952 433, David includes it in Psalm 3. It is the notation to you and to me to pause and think about what God has just done. I know we're in the middle of revival and you need the organ in E flat before you get on your feet to get happy. But I want to give you a personal Selah moment. I want you to pause and think about all of the ways God has made for you. Pause and think about all of the doors God has opened for you. I dare you to take a moment and try to be quiet and try to keep still and try to keep your hands down. David finds his confidence. He finds his conviction. God, God, God delivers. The object and the focus of Psalm 3 is not David's mistakes even though he's made them. It's not what Absalom has done even though he's done it. It's about what God is doing despite all that has happened. In fact, the psalmist David, no less than seven times, calls upon the name of Yahweh, the divine name. He, he moves from complaint to confidence to conviction. He says, I lie down and sleep. Lord, help me here. I wake again, for the Lord sustains me. I am not afraid of ten thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. When David remembers that God is obligated to show up for him, David is reminded of his own conviction. David says, well, if God is protecting me, even though I've got enemies all around me, if God is faithful to deliver, even though everybody's after me, then I ought to have enough sense and comfort to go to sleep at night. If I know God is keeping me, I ought to have enough faith to put my head to the pillow. And can I tell you, that's when your faith kicks in. Faith does not kick in when everything in your life is all right. But faith kicks in when you're running and your enemies surround you. But you remember that the Lord is a shield for you. And that the Lord hears your prayer. That the Lord answers you. David finds his conviction in knowing I can go to sleep tonight. And so why are you worried? Why can't you keep your food down? Come up off them pills that you have to swallow. Go to sleep tonight. Pull the cover over your head. Knowing that God has not brought you this far to leave you. That's all David is saying tonight. That I can rest and wake up 
and clock in to work and do what I got to do and deal with my boss because I know God delivers. I know that God's got me. Somebody shout, God delivers. God delivers. Yeshua, Yeshua delivers Yeshua. That, that word in Hebrew means salvation. It means that God comes in military and material justice to snatch me out of that which I cannot pry myself from. I come to tell somebody tonight that the God you serve is so big, he can pry you out of the thing that has you bound. God delivers. Strung out on drugs, God delivers. Trouble in your home, God delivers. Craziness on your job, God delivers. Problems in the community, God He moves from complaint to confidence to conviction. And fourthly and finally, I'm out of here to celebration. It says, rise up, O Lord, verse 7. Deliver me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Deliverance belongs to the Lord. May your blessing be on your people. When David thinks about all that God has done, David moves from complaint to confidence to conviction, to celebration. When you really know for yourself who God is and what God can do, you might complain, but you can't stay there. You might find your confidence, but you can't stay there. Your confidence ought to lead you to conviction, knowing that you know you know what you know about God. And when you know that you know what you know about God, it ought to lead you to celebrate what your God can do. It says, rise up, O Lord. Deliver me. You strike all my enemies. I had enemies, but you, you got that. Salvation, deliverance, belongs to the Lord. May your blessing be on your, on your people. David closes what began as a royal psalm of lament and sadness. He moves from disorientation to orientation to new orientation. He moves from complaint to confidence to conviction to celebration. And here's what he says. It's real simple. Deliverance belongs to the Lord. I'm so glad that deliverance does not belong to Israel. I'm so glad that deliverance does not belong to Mount Pleasant. 
I'm glad that deliverance, I love you, but it doesn't belong to Fairfield. But deliverance belongs to the Lord. I'm so glad that deliverance does not belong to you. And you ought to be glad tonight that deliverance doesn't belong to me. Deliverance belongs to the Lord. Why should you be shouting about that? Nobody knows like David how much he has messed up. I mean, David's head was hung low because David knew that he did wrong with Bathsheba. But God still delivered. David knew that he didn't do right by Tamar. But God still delivered. David knew that Absalom was after him. But God still delivered. Absalom ended up losing his life. The Bible says that he was the prettiest man in all of Israel. But as he was pursuing his daddy David, his hair got caught in the thickets of the trees. And then David's men thrust their swords through his heart. God delivered David from Absalom. Because deliverance belongs to the Lord. I'm trying to help you see that you ought to be glad about it. That despite what you have done, God has not held it against you. But God has looked beyond all of your faults and supplied all of your needs. David does not use this word in Psalm 3, but it bleeds throughout the Psalter. All David is trying to say is that God's grace has covered my life. Somebody ought to be shouting right now. Grace is what God gives you that you don't deserve. God's grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. And I ought to be glad tonight to know that I'm in a sanctuary full of grace cases. I ought to be in the company of some folk who can testify that, Pastor, I have done wrong. I have made some mistakes. I deserve some consequences. But I'm here tonight not because I've been so good, but because deliverance belongs to the Lord. I'm here tonight because God's grace is on my life. Is there anybody here who can thank God because were it not for the grace of God, you would have lost your mind. Were it not for the grace of God, your enemies would have overtaken you. Were it not for the grace of God, your soul would still be lost. Maybe that's why the composer said, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. I gotta get out of here. But is there anybody glad that deliverance belongs to the Lord when you came here tonight you came in complaining when you came here tonight you came here frustrated but you stayed long enough to know that you got a reason to shout you got a reason to praise because the Lord delivers is there anybody here 
who knows about his delivering power. Why don't you shake somebody's hand and tell your neighbor, neighbor, I don't know what you're going through, but I've come to tell you that God delivers. Find somebody else. Tell your neighbor, neighbor, I know you may have cried, but wipe your eyes because God delivers. I'm not telling you what I heard. I'm telling you what I know. He'll fix it for you. He'll fight it for you. He'll be a shield all around you. I am kept by the grace of God. He protects me. He directs me. He's a hedge all around me. Is he all right? Won't he keep you? Won't he hold you? Won't he sustain you? Say yay, 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 yay. You've been listening to the Mount On The Go podcast. If you've been enjoying the word, please consider donating to the Mount Pleasant Ministry. We have various ways that you can give to the ministry to allow us to become better in our pursuit of delivering God's word to you. You can give via PayPal at mtpleasantatl.org. You can give via Zale, info at mtpleasantatl.org. You can also give via Square and Givelify. For Givelify, just search for Mount Pleasant Baptist Church with our address, 17 Melvin Avenue, Southeast Atlanta, Georgia, and you'll be in the right place. In addition to all these options, you're always welcome and invited to grab an envelope and have cash or checks sent to the church, whose address is again, 17 Melvin Avenue, Southeast Atlanta, Georgia. For questions, comments, and concerns, feel free to email us at info at mtpleasantatl.org. That's info at mtpleasantatl.org. You can also visit our website, www.mountpleasantatl.org, to follow us on YouTube and Facebook for the video version of the podcast. Our services are live every Sunday at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, and you are more than welcome to visit the church in person every Sunday at the same time. Thank you so much for listening.